Good morning. Want to encourage you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the book of Jonah. And uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, we don't study many of these uh, passages, and so this morning we want to begin a series dealing with the uh, prophet Jonah and his interesting story. It's a story that many of us have maybe heard as kids, but this morning we want to dig a little bit deeper into it and discover really what God has to say to us about uh, his love and his mercy, and also how God deals with us. You know, God is a merciful God. Uh, God is someone that cares deeply for every single one of us. And uh, I trust today that as we dig into this passage together, that our hearts would be stirred and encouraged, and uh, that we would uh, find maybe something new that we can uh, really claim as our own as we dig into the text. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Joshua chapter 1, and uh, we're going to dig into this passage together. Uh, I am convinced that we live in a runaway world. Uh, no matter where you look, people are running away. Uh, we find that this is true in almost every sector of a society. Kids are running away from families. Last well, statistics that I saw, more than 1.5 million teenagers run away from home every single year. We have parents that are running away from the kids. They don't want to deal with responsibilities. We have the problem of deadbeat dads that don't follow through on their child support. They're running away. They change their identity. People are on the run today in every situation. In fact, there are people that are on the run simply because they, they can't deal with the stresses and the strains of life. Life has become so burdensome that they just want to get away from it all. And people today are living for exotic weekends. They're looking for weekend getaways just to get away from all the press and the pressure of life. They just have had it up to their chin, and they, they just want to just run away. It's kind of like what the psalmist experienced when he said in Psalm 55 and verse 6, he said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. Have you ever felt that way? You just like to forget it all and just fly away. How many of you felt that way? No, I have. There have been moments in my life I just said, hey, enough of this. And we just experience all of these feelings, and we don't know exactly how to put it all together, and we just like to get away from it all. And so people today are on the run. They're running from reality. They're running away from responsibility. People are running away from relationships. It's amazing uh, how many times we find people running away from a spouse, running away from their kids, running away from these responsibilities that are theirs. And yes, there are many folks that are running away from God. It's very interesting that <clears throat> uh, we find ourselves confronted in this particular book with a man who thought he could outrun God. Uh, someone has said that this is uh, kind of the high water mark of the Old Testament. But it's a, it's a very intriguing story about uh, this prophet who receives a direct command from God, and, and yet he's at the point on, in his life that 
instead of responding to God, he, he, does, he, he really doesn't think God's <clears throat> serious about what he's asking him to do, and so he takes matters into his own hands, and he runs in an opposite direction. Now, I know what some of you may be thinking here this morning. Give me a break, Pastor. Do you really believe, do you really believe this stuff about Jonah and the whale? Come on. Do you really take him seriously? I mean, let's face it, Jonah, that's the greatest fish story ever known to man. You actually believe this stuff? I'm reminded of a great industrialist. He was a, basically an atheist who uh, lived in Chicago, and he decided that he was going to uh, have a conversation with one of these Salvation Army gals that was uh, collecting uh, Christmas donations. And so he, before he put his donation into the little kettle, uh, he decided to have a conversation with her. And he said, uh, do you believe the Bible? And the gal said, well, of course I believe the Bible. Uh, do you believe the story about Jonah? Well, yes, I believe the story about Jonah. Uh, do you believe that, that he was actually swallowed by a whale? Well, yes, I do believe that. Well, how did he breathe? How, how did he figure this all out? Well, I mean, come on. Well, said the little gal, she said, well, she said, when I get to heaven, I'll uh, ask Jonah myself. And the fellow responded back to her, well, if Jonah's not in heaven, what are you going to do? Well, then you tell him. You'll get it. You'll figure it out sooner or later. Jonah is a real person. He is someone that actually existed. He is not a mythological character. He is someone that is very real. He is someone that the Lord Jesus speaks about even in the New Testament. Uh, it's very interesting that from our perspective, uh, we're going to consider in this series Jonah to be very, very real. Uh, we notice, for example, in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse 25, it speaks of his hometown as being in gath Hefer, which is a well-known ancient city. Uh, today it's identified with the present town of El Meshed, three miles northeast of Nazareth in the land of Israel. So you have this testimony of uh, the Old Testament that Joseph lived, that he lived in this city, that he grew up there, that he was part of that particular region. Moreover, and this is what really settles the case, the Lord Jesus himself refers to the facts in the book of Jonah as historical events. You see this especially in Matthew chapter 12 and in Luke chapter 11. It's very interesting when you turn to those particular passages, you discover that the Pharisees are challenging Jesus by asking him to give evidence of his divine credentials. Uh, he was taking care of all these sick people, uh, healings and things were taking place. And to answer the criticisms of these Pharisees, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament. And he talks about, in those passages, he refers to the prophet Jonah saying that he was a sign to Nineveh that God was speaking to him, that God was preparing them for a very important message. 
And Jonah's very presence at that moment was a powerful expression of God's love to them. And what's more, Jesus refers to the fact that Jonah spent three days and three nights in the belly of the fish. He likens it unto his own resurrection when he was in the grave for three days and then resurrected uh, on that wonderful, glorious Easter morning. So historically, uh, all of history points to the fact that Jonah is real. He is a real person. And these events that are recorded in this book are historical realities that actually took place. And so we want to take a good hard look at what we find in this book because there's some very important teaching for us to understand. Now here in chapter 1, we see that Jonah is trying to outrun God. In fact, in each of the chapters, we discover that he is uh, experiencing something a little bit different and uh, something that has uh, caused him to react in different ways. For example, here in chapter 1, he's packing. He's packing up his bags because he wants to to go in a different direction than the Lord has called him. In chapter 2, he's praying because he's in the pinch. He's now in the belly of the fish, and he is in deep, deep trouble, and he doesn't know really what to do. Then in chapter 3, he's preaching to this city that he didn't want to go to. And then in chapter 4, he's pouting. So he's, he's, he's packing, he's praying, he's preaching, and he's pouting. It's a very interesting story about a man who tries to outrun God. Now, here in chapter 1, he's not only on the run, but we see that God is in pursuit of him. No matter where we go, no matter what we do, we can never outrun God God is always in pursuit of us. He's in pursuit of those that are trying to run away from him. And this case here in the book of Jonah is a beautiful illustration of that. First of all, I want you to note in this passage that God is sovereign in his direction. You see this in verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. You see, God in his sovereignty chooses Jonah to take the message of the Lord to Nineveh. We don't know much about Jonah. He gains notoriety because God chooses him to take his message to the people of Nineveh. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, let's face it. When God speaks to us, We have really no options. Oh, we do. But if we choose to do something different than what God calls us to do, then there's there's usually a problem. Now, when God speaks and when we speak to one another, it's two different things. We speak to one another. Your supervisor speaks to you, asks you to do something. You have an option. You can either do it or you don't do it. And then maybe you're going to experience the consequences. But when God speaks, when we have a clear word from God, and that's the case with Jonah, we need to be responding obediently. Sometimes God in his sovereignty asks us to do something which is not easy and may come in direct conflict with our human desires and wishes. And this was the case of Jonah. Notice, he receives the word of the Lord. 
But in verse 3, Joseph ran away from the Lord. He didn't like what the Lord was saying to him. He goes in an opposite direction. Now, Nineveh at this time was a world-class city. Uh, It was a city that was steeped in wickedness and cruelty. It was a very violent city. In fact, in the various periods of Nineveh's history, it shared the distinction of being the capital of the Assyrian Empire, an empire that had ravaged Damascus and Syria and had captured Judah and Israel. And at the time of Jonah, Assyria was in charge. It was at its zenith. God commissions Jonah. Now, just think about this. He commissions Jonah to go to this city that has ravaged and been violent against God's people, and he's to go into this world-class city that's full of wickedness, that has done all kinds of evil against Israel, and he's to preach against it because of its sinfulness. And Jonah, when he hears this, he is so disturbed. He doesn't want to present the gospel to these people that have ravaged and hurt his people. He doesn't want to go there. And so he takes it upon himself. He thinks he knows better than God, and he goes in an opposite direction from the presence of the Lord. Now, instead of going to Nineveh, he boards a ship 2,000 miles to the west going to Tarshish. He wants to put distance between himself and God. And my friend, there are many in our world today that want to put distance between themselves and God. They think they know better than God. They know what God's asking them to do. They are, it's not that they don't know what God's will is. They just don't like what God has revealed to them. And so like Jonah, many of us, we take matters into our own hands and we run away from God. The problem is that you cannot snap your fingers at God because no matter where you go, God will pursue after you. He had forgotten what the psalmist said in Psalm 139, verses 7 to 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, notice, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand shall hold me fast. Friends, when God makes his will known to us, we cannot push it aside or take it lightly or put it on the back burner and hope for the best. It's God's will that people come to put their personal faith and trust in him. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And for Jonah, like for many of us, it wasn't a question of finding God's will. It was a matter of following God's will. You know, so many times we say, well, I don't really know what God's will is for my life. We think it's hidden someplace. You see, if if we are... Walking in obedience to the Lord, God will lead us through the scriptures. If you want to know God's will for your life, you want to make sure that you are a student of the word of God. So it's not an issue with Jonah of of finding God's will. It was an issue of following God's will. My friend, when God speaks to us, we need to respond. So many times we argue with God, just like Jonah. Well, I don't want to do that. 
That's too hard. That's too difficult. And we put distance between ourselves and God. And this is what God is trying to teach Jonah. No matter how much distance you seek to, to, to put between what I'm asking you to do and what you want to do, trust me, my way is always the best way. God's way is always the best way. We can never go wrong when we are following the leadership of the living God. So God is in pursuit, and he's not giving up on this servant who thinks he knows better than God and can do whatever he wants to. And that leads us to this second main uh, <clears throat> point that I want to make. God's not only sovereign in his direction, but he is sovereign in his dealings. Notice, uh, Jonah takes matters into his own hands. He boards a ship bound for Tarshish. And what does the Lord do? Then the Lord, verse 4, sent a great wind on the sea. Such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. Now, I want you to notice the text. In verse 3, but Jonah. Put a circle around, but Jonah. But Jonah ran away. Verse 4, put a circle around it, then the Lord. But Jonah, but the Lord. But Jonah, but the Lord. This is the battle that is raging within the heart of this prophet. He knows exactly what God wants him to do, but for some reason, he thinks he can outsmart God. But then the Lord, then the Lord sent a great wind. He thinks he has the, the smarts to outthink God. He thinks he can escape the creator of the universe. This is the conflict that rages within the heart of every single person. It's the rage between what we know is right, what God's asking us to do, and what we want to do. Most of us, we get ourselves into trouble just like Jonah did when we know what God wants us to do and we take matters into our own hands and do our own thing. Uh, a New Testament text that backs this up is Romans chapter 7, verses 14 to 20. We're not going to take a look at that, but put that down in your Bibles. That was the uh, conflict that the Apostle Paul talks about between the flesh and the spirit. Now, just picture the scene. I mean, Jonah is running, God is pursuing, and you know who's going to win. I mean, you know. <laughs> Jonah's not going to get too far before the Lord reaches out and makes himself known in some unusual ways. So God in his sovereignty, he sends out this great wind. It's very interesting if you will read in the book of Psalm, Psalm 104, verses 3 and 4, that the wind and the storm are ministers of God, which accomplish his purposes in people's lives. God uses his creation many times to arrest our attention and to get us back into a relationship of following the Lord fully. But Jonah, he's oblivious to all this, and he's exhausted. Remember, he's, he's, he, he, he's running away. He boards this ship. He pays the fare. He thinks he's, he's good to go. And so he goes down below deck, and he finds a place there where he falls asleep, 
and he falls into a deep sleep. Now, this is a picture of false security. He feels he has outsmarted God. He says, aha, <laughs> you know, God didn't really mean uh, what he said. And, oh, man, I'm so excited. And so he goes, and he's, he's sleeping in the bow of the ship. But the Lord is still dealing with him. And little does he realize that when he found that resting place below deck in the bow of the ship, and in just a few moments, he would be awakened out of his sleep by this captain that looks him in the eyes and says, Hey, Jonah, why are you sleeping? He has no idea. When he first goes down there, he, he thinks he's got it all under control. Now notice what happens. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Notice it's small g. See, this captain doesn't know anything about Jehovah God. He only knows about the false gods that he and his buddies have been praying to. Call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. Now, have you ever been in a deep sleep and you have fallen asleep and you're in a deep sleep and somebody comes and wakes you up? What do you feel? Oh, you're startled. You're kind of disoriented. I mean, things are kind of spinning around. I mean, Jonah's trying to figure this all out, and here he has this ang angry captain in his face. I mean, and this was not a happy conversation, by the way. The captain, he, he's, he's dead earnest. And Jones, Jonah, he's trying to rub his eyes, and, and now he hears the captain saying he's to pray to a god, and Jonah's been running from his god. Do you see the irony in all of this? See, Jonah's disobedience not only affects him, now it affects everyone on board that ship. And the captain comes to him and says, Hey, Jonah, how can you sleep? Maybe you better start praying to your God. You see, the captain recognize that there is some kind of a higher power. At that moment, he doesn't know who the true God is because he's been controlled by the gods of the Assyrians. But at least he had the presence of mind to say, Jonah, <laughs> we're in need of some help. And we're calling out to our gods. Will you call out to your God? You see, when we take matters into our own hands and are determined to do our own thing, it always hurts others. When we allow bitterness and hate to impact our lives, it hurts others. In fact, it hurts the one hating more than the one who is the object of the hatred. And so Jonah and the entire crew now are in the middle of a great storm. And, I mean, they are 
they're in desperate straits. I mean, they're starting to cast the cargo overboard because they're wanting to somehow get through this storm. And so they say, we need to figure out what, who, who brought this on us. Who's responsible for this calamity? Look at verse 7. Then the sailors said to each other, come let us cast lots and find out who is responsible for this calamity. And they cast lots, notice, and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they ask him, now here's not just the captain, here's the rest of the shipmates. They ask him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble? What do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? How would you like to be interrogated like that? I mean, Jonah thought he was getting away. He, 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 he was getting away from God. He was getting away from doing what God wanted him to do. Now he has these angry sailors in his face saying, Who are you? What's going on in your life? From whom are you running? What country do you come from? It's amazing. Never. See, in his wildest dreams, Jonah never, ever anticipated any of this. I mean, this was not a friendly interrogation. This was not a fireside chat. These were, these were hard questions. Now, having said all of that, and having understood that, Joseph, that Jonah is on the run from God, we have to give him some credit because he responds with authenticity. In verse 9, notice, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. Now notice, he worships the Lord, L-O-R-D. They are worshiping their small G-O-Ds. There's a world of difference between these small little gods that the Assyrians were calling out for, and Jonah makes it very clear that his God is the Lord God Almighty. And when he says that, notice, verse 10, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? When they recognized that Jonah is fleeing from the creator God, the God who made the heavens and the earth, they are terrified because they realize that all this calamity has happened to them because just one man thought he knew better than God. But he's absolutely truthful here. He speaks the truth. And this tells us a little bit about his character. You have to admire his courage here. He shoots straight from the shoulder. He doesn't play word games. He doesn't conceal his identity. He tells it like it is. Now, I mean, put yourself in Jonah's place. He could have said, oh, lay off, guys. I'm trying to get some sleep here. But no. He faces up to the reality that at that moment he needed to declare his colors. And at that moment, I believe Jonah becomes the man of God that God wants him to become. 
He no longer is on the run. He faces up to the fact that it's his disobedience that has caused this calamity to come upon the sailors. That God is the one who sent the storm. And that God is his God. Now, remember, Jonah didn't want to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. He didn't believe that salvation should come to these violent heathen pagans. These foreign wretches that had captured and plundered his people and his attitude had been, these people don't deserve God. But now, God's arrested his attention and he has declared his colors. He is admitting to them that he is fleeing from someone who asked him to go in a certain direction and he's gone in a contrary one. And for the first time, these sailors are confronted with the reality that there is a living God that supersedes their pagan deities that they had followed for many, many years. Jonah learns something about God in all of this. You see, I've discovered that many people have a very small view of God. They think he's small. They think he's inadequate. We live in a world today where man has become almost his own God. Many people think that God cannot compete today with advanced nuclear physics, laser beams, next generation computers, and artificial intelligence. But let me tell you, God's way above all that. God pursues after us. He's not intimidated by our technology. He's the source behind all technology advancement. He's not awed by our next generation computers and gadgets. He provides the intelligence to create them. He may be invisible, but he is still in touch. And though we cannot reach out to him, God is still on the throne, and he is at work even when we're not aware of it. Instead of running from him, his desire is that we come to that place in our lives where we surrender to him and take serious his claims, and when he asks us to do even the hard things, we're willing to do it because we know we have received a word from the Lord. And then lastly, I want you to know God's sovereign and his discipline. See this in verses 11 and 12. Just as the father disciplines a disobedient son, God disciplines Jonah. Well, you may ask, why didn't God calm the sea immediately after Jonah identifies with him and says, I'm a Hebrew in verse 9. I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God. Why didn't, why didn't the Lord just calm the sea at that moment? Because he's honest and he identifies with God. Well, God still had some things to teach him. <laughs> God still has some things he wanted Jonah to understand. And when Jonah... <clears throat> tells the men to throw him overboard. Notice the men refuse. Look at verse 11. 
The sea was getting rougher and rougher, and so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea, sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me overboard, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Now, it's very interesting here that he's identified himself as being the one responsible for this calamity that has fallen upon them. And yet, even though these men are foreigners, they still respect life. Interesting. Look at verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. In other words, Jonah says, push me overboard. Now, they weren't ready to do that. They, they respected human life. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. Then they cried to the Lord. Now notice, they're not crying to their G-O-D-S, their small gods. They are crying. Notice, put a circle, they cry. These men understand that God, the living God, is involved in all of this. And so instead of crying to their small gods, they call to the Lord. Oh, Lord, please do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, oh, Lord, there it is again, have done as you pleased. You see, this, this tells us that though this was not Jonah's intent, because he identifies with the true and living God, these pagan sailors make a transfer of trust from their small gods to the living God. And now, they know that they're dealing with someone much greater and much more powerful, one who controls the winds and the seas and, and, and uh, the air. It's amazing. So they row with all their might. They can't do it, though, so they reluctantly throw him overboard. But notice they, they pray that his, they would not be held accountable. Notice in verse uh, uh, 14 that they would not be held accountable for killing an innocent man. They, verse 15, then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and notice the raging sea grew calm. Now put yourself in, the pic in, uh, uh, in this place. I mean, the, these guys are seasoned uh, sailors. I mean, they've seen rough seas before. They've had all kinds of things that they've had to battle. But now this sea that was raging and caused such great fear, now it becomes calm and what's the result? Verse 16, notice, at this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Now, there are at least three things, three results of God's discipline on Jonah. Number one, the sailors are made to fear God. They reverence God. When the storm begins, they're praying to their small gods. Now they are praying to the Lord God Almighty. 
When God disciplines, he does so so that our lives are refined. And this was a refining process for Jonah. So first result of his discipline is that the sailors are made to fear God. The second is the sailors give glory to God. Notice they offered a sacrifice to the L-O-R-D and made vows to him. They didn't offer a sacrifice to their pagan gods. They made a sacrifice. They gave glory to the living God who now has calmed the storm, calmed the sea. See, God uses this experience of Jonah as a means of glorifying himself. That tells me this, that God is in charge of our lives even when we blow it. Even when we mess up, God can take the things that we mess up to glorify Him. It's amazing. It's powerful. And these sailors now, they offer a sacrifice to the living God. And they make vows to him. Doesn't say exactly what those vows were, but I suspect they had to do with full allegiance to the living God. And number three, God also prepares a great fish to swallow Jonah. Look at verse 17. But the Lord, there it is again, provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. When we are disciplined by God, it's because He loves us and He always has the view of restoring us. In chapter 1, Jonah sinks beneath the waves. But God's purpose was not to destroy him, but to develop him. And we're going to discover just how God develops Jonah as he finds refuge in the belly of this great fish. So, in the final analysis, the great question from the book of Jonah is not, is it possible for a great fish to swallow a man? That's not the question. Rather, the key question of Jonah is this. Of what is the great fish a sign? Of what is the great fish a sign? Three things. Number one, it is a sign of God's sovereignty. God provided that fish to preserve his life. Number two, it's also a sign that God is not finished with Jonah. God still had some very important things. In fact, as we will soon discover, God uses this runaway in ways that he could never have imagined had he not experienced the discipline of God. And lastly, it is a sign of his amazing grace. 
which comes down to Jonah, even while he's in the belly of the great fish. And as we will discover next week, it lifts him to safety and eventually to a brand new life. There you have it. The war of the wills. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah says, no, I'm not going to go. God says, I'm coming after you. And let me tell you, when God comes after us, he does so with a purpose. Not to hurt us, but to make us more like him. I don't know if you're running away from God this morning. I have no idea. But you know, maybe you're running away from what God has been asking you to do. Whatever you're running away from today, I would just surrender that to God. Say, Lord, I give it to you. I'm going to stop running, and I'm giving you the complete control of my life. Let's stand together, shall we please, for closing prayer. These quiet moments, just before I have prayer, there may be some of you here today and say, Pastor, you know, there's things that I've been running away from. I know God wants me to do certain things, but they aren't easy. And I've been running away. Lord, or Pastor John, will you pray for me that I'll stop my running And I'll surrender myself to Jesus. With all your heads bowed, no looking around. If there's anyone like that, just lift up your hand. Yes, I see in the back. Anyone else? Yes, yes. See a number. Okay, yes. Thank, thank. uh, Anyone else? I just want to pray for you. Yes, I see your hand. Thank you. May put it down. Anyone else? Say, Pastor, remember me. Yes. Yes, I see these hands. Yes. Father in heaven, you've seen each hand raised. We don't know exactly what these folks are running from, but Lord, I pray that they would run to you. Uh, They would experience the power of your presence. Lord, we can never escape your all-encompassing grace. Even when we blow it, Lord, you reach out to us. When we mess up, you're there. You always are inviting us to come back. And sometimes, Lord, the discipline is hard and we don't understand it, but Lord, all discipline is to bring us into that close, close relationship to you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would continue to pursue after each of us. Help all of us to keep our eyes on you, to follow you fully and to do what you ask us to do. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet, sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.